Welcome to Succession Stories, Insights for Next Generation Entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third-generation, 120-year-old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies, and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transition their company and others who experience disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next-generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. Subscribe to our newsletter for more resources to build value in your business. Visit small.big.com. That's small.big.com and sign up today. As Peter Drucker said, the purpose of business is to create and keep a customer. For that reason, I spotlight the topic of customer service as a way to drive value in your company. I had a great conversation with Dr. Kelly Henry. He shared his experience as a medical entrepreneur and how he grew and differentiated his practice with a customer service culture. Before selling in 2018, Kelly's business was amongst the top 10% of chiropractic clinics in the US. We talked about getting acquired and transitioning to his next. Kelly now coaches business owners how to ignite their enthusiasm for exceptional customer service to improve the bottom line of your business. Dr. Kelly Henry, welcome to Succession Stories. It's so great to be with you. And I I wanted to tell the listeners first, because this episode's a little bit different. I don't usually get to speak with someone who has built their practice, medical practice, and sold it, and then is here to not only reflect on that, but to reflect on one of the core aspects that's so important to creating enterprise value, which is customer service and the value of what that brings to a company. So Dr. Kelly Henry, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to have you. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate the opportunity. Great to be here. Why don't we start with you telling us a bit about your background and what inspired you to go into the medical profession? (laughs) Well, to be honest with you, it's completely selfish. Why I moved into the medical profession, i.e. chiropractic. We had a family friend when I was in high school that was a chiropractor and got to know them pretty well through our, our church. And he was very successful. He had the boat, he had the, the lake house, he had snowmobiles. And so that really piqued my interest on, hey, this guy's doing all right. Maybe I should look into this and, and move that direction. So ultimately that's what, what started me on that focus and moving that way. Did you come from a family of doctors or anything like that? I did not. My dad worked for the FAA his entire career, and my mom was a homemaker. She sold real estate and, and did taxes for people, ran her, her business that way. But no, no one in my family either side had any kind of medical background as far as their occupation. So you became a chiropractor eventually. And you, where'd you grow up? We should probably... I grew up in Colorado, just outside okay. of Denver. So yes. Beautiful place. Beautiful place. I've seen there many times. Amen. (laughs) So you were a chiropractor. Tell me about that. Did you work with other doctors in their practice? I did initially. Got out of of school, 
moved my family to Phoenix. So I graduated from chiropractic school in Dallas, where I live now. That's why I fell in love with Dallas when I was here at school and always wanted to get back. And that's where I moved back to a couple of years ago. But when I graduated chiropractic school in the late 90s, moved to Phoenix, worked in a facility with other chiropractors. I was gung-ho to open a practice or to build my practice, to make my millions and to just change the world. And you can probably imagine what happened. That did not did not work out. It was a eye-opening experience, an utter failure in sense of making money and building a successful business. But it laid a foundation because it I was able to learn from the other doctors in this facility. So there were six doctors in a common facility. We each had our own practices. And I was able to learn and and understand the basics of business from working with these doctors. And a couple of them had been in business for 20 plus years. So it was a tremendous learning experience for me there. It also gave me the ability, or once I became successful, I could look back at that and appreciate being successful from when we were scraping by and having to rely on just hardly making any money and having to rely on handouts from family a few times. So that that was a difficult time, but also I could look back and see, hey, this is what uh, ultimately was a stepping stone to my success later on. Yeah, it's interesting for perspective because as a medical professional, your experience is not only in serving patients, but then you were also learning how to run a practice. And over time, I'm assuming you got exposed to the business side. I mean, it's essentially a small business, right? But it's got its, it its nuances with certainly you know, caring for patients, uh, regulations and insurance and all of that stuff. So when you talked about mentorship, which is fantastic, how did you learn the business side of a medical profession? Well, like you said, the mentorship laid the good foundation for me. I practiced in Phoenix for, for a year, bought a practice in New Mexico near where my wife's from. So that helped tremendously because of what I learned in Phoenix. And then I could apply that. I had instant patients. I bought a practice out from a retiring chiropractor that didn't really have much left, but it, it gave me gave me some instant patients, you know, to get some income rolling. So that that was great. You know, initially it was trial and error. Let's do this. You know, does this work? Let's do this, this, this work. And it was it was pretty haphazard. What really narrowed down my thinking was when I finally hired a business coach about four years into that particular practice. And what happened was I saw one of my buddies that I graduated chiropractic school with. He was doing quite well. Hey, how did this happen? You know, what have you done to be able to be that much more successful? And he told me, hey, listen, I hired this company, these coaches, this consultant. You should do the same. And I did. And that's what really narrowed my focus in on the business aspects and developing or not developing, but putting in processes to build your business properly. How many years had you been a doctor, you know, out of medical school before you bought the clinic in Phoenix? Well, the, 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 the clinic in Phoenix, I just went in and it would just start from scratch. So it was a year later that I was able to buy the practice in New Mexico. And then it was another, me, New Mexico. Yeah, another three years before I finally got the flick of hiring a coach and consultant to help me with the business aspects. So all in at that point, when you became the entrepreneur and the owner of that practice, you yourself were maybe out of med school, what was it, about five years or so? Well, just a little over a year by the time I- Oh, just I, over a year. Yeah, by the time I bought the practice in New Mexico. Gotcha, gotcha. So you were really on a steep learning curve. 
Curious about when you were deciding to buy that practice, what were some of the, if you reflect back, yes, I realize this is a, a while ago now, but what were some of the things that helped you evaluate the value of that clinic and how did you know what to pay for it? Yeah, that was a, that was another learning experience and a steep curve there too. You know, just being naive and never have done it before, you, you, you take a lot of word off of, you know, the seller and, and their honesty. And they were selling me the okay practice. They wanted to sell me the building along with the practice. And of course, I didn't have that kind of income. I had all kinds of student debt. So there was, there was some challenges there. I somehow found, and I don't recall how I found this. Somebody had mentioned to me, but I believe it was, it was called uh, BEST. And I don't remember if that's an acronym, but it was uh, Retired Executives and Business Owners in the Phoenix area. And it was completely free. You could set up a consultation with them and they could help, you know, answer questions and, and business challenges. And I hooked in with them and got with a really knowledgeable executive. And basically he told me, hey, listen, don't buy the building. Here's what the practice is probably worth. You're buying blue sky, you know, just patient files. You need to go look at the equipment and evaluate it, you know, as far as age and those type of things. And he really just gave me an outline of here's what you need to do. And I traveled to New Mexico from Phoenix, looked at it, had a better game plan, and we were able to negotiate the sale of the practice. And it saved me tens of thousands of dollars getting that information. Otherwise, I would have been in a little bit of trouble if I would have bought it outright and and just on faith from the, the sellers. Yeah, no, it was great that you got that insight and advice. It sounds like it was really helpful to you to understand, you know, the do's and don'ts. And that's important. You know, I think some people don't always acknowledge they don't know what they don't know and they dive <laughs> in and, and the, the decision right. can either be great or they have regrets. So it's good that you Absolutely. didn't have regrets. So you found yourself in New Mexico. You're now going to build your practice. What was the area of focus once you took it over? You had some customer files, but where did you go from there? Well, you know, main focus just start making some money. You know, I had a young family at the time. We just needed to to get some income going. So obviously, I wanted to take care of those patients and do what I did. I made one tremendous decision that was very beneficial that that I'm still working with today, and I made one very detrimental decision when I when I started that practice. So the the great decision was this particular community in in New Mexico, smaller community. A lot of the businesses were established for years. Not a lot of competition. So their customer service was not great, and it didn't take long for us to be involved with certain companies and just tell that they could care less that you were doing business with them. You had to do business with them, and, and however they treated is how they treated you, and that bugged me. And so I just made a decision early on within a few weeks of, of moving to the community that, hey, my clinics were going to be different. We were going to treat my patients better. We were going to make them feel valued from day one. And so that, that really laid a great foundation for me. The big mistake I made was I just did what this chiropractor was doing. I was just just doing the same procedures, the same billing, the same attitude as far as finances, as in, you know, the patient paid whenever they wanted to, they came in whenever they wanted to, you know, whether we got the billing out once a week or once a month, I, I kept one of his employees and these type of things. And it wasn't until I had hired my business coach and they're like, yeah, you, you're really not... Uh, not doing the right thing as far as the business aspect of things. So there was a good and a bad there that uh, kind of suffered through for several years before I finally got uh, the coaching that I needed to help me refine and, and uh, again, lay a better foundation. 
Can you give some examples? What were some of the red flags? Or did you find that patients would come once and not return? What were some of the examples that you can give of some of the metrics that you were seeing? The chiropractor that I bought out, had, he, he was in his 60s, had been in practice for you know, 35, 40 years, been a long time, a little different training that I had and a lot of different communication. He was well-established in the, you know, the community, that type of thing. So that, that gave me an advantage because I still had a patient base. When I spoke with patients about health and, and doing certain things in a certain way, there was a lot of resistance there. So Dr. Ajo, this, this, this other doctor, he didn't, he didn't tell us to do that. You know, he, he didn't tell me, he just, you know, just come in when you're in pain or whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of resistance to me changing that dialogue and, and presenting that information. The other aspect of that was, was, Hey, you know, we need to pay a time of services. Well, the, the other doctor, I didn't have to pay a time of services. You know, he let me, you know, they just billed me and I, I paid whenever I wanted to, that type of thing. And there was a lot of resistance with that as well. So and being young and naive and not having that information, it was just like, okay, well, I don't want to upset anybody. Let's just keep those old standards in place. And obviously, I suffered through for several years having that, having that mindset and that, those business practices. Yeah, that's a tough spot because you knew from a cash flow standpoint, the upfront billing was going to be best for your business. But you, Absolutely. at the time, probably didn't want to risk losing those clients, those patients, because you were trying to get the business off the ground. So I, I can understand that's kind of a catch-22. And it wasn't until you probably got the customer acquisition wheel turning that you were bringing in enough new clients that if some of the, you know, from the previous doctor were ready to move on, then they weren't a fit for your new culture, that you had the confidence to say, hey, that's okay, let's part ways. Is that what happened? <laughs> you pretty much nailed it on on the head there. So, and, and that's exactly what happened. And a lot of it was through the customer culture that we, we established, the customer service culture we established that we started helping the customer acquisition come into play. And as my reputation grew in town, yeah, we, we were able to create that, that flow of new patients. And that was great um, in which we were able to change the, change the culture. Once I did that, um, two things happened. Um, and this is, and I've talked to a lot of business owners about this, but when, when we changed that culture, you know, I, I kept patients that were, they, they wanted to be there. They understood the benefits of chiropractic and, and getting healthier. They paid on time and they, they, you know, took care of uh, business, so to speak. And I eliminated those patients that, you know, just kind of had that old mentality from the old doctor. Um, and I, you know, I lost, you know, probably not a third, maybe a quarter of my, my business that way. Um, but ultimately that helped me skyrocket my growth, getting rid of that, you know, that bottom quarter um, that I was having to deal with. It's kind of the 80, 20 rule, you know, I'm spending more time on that 20% or on the, uh, well, I was, I was spending more time on that 20% of people and just not making the impact I wanted to and the, the income out of them. So it's okay to let those, let those kind of customers go um, and focus your attention on the ones that are going to have the greatest impact and the greatest growth and the greatest profit for you. How big did that practice get? And how do you measure it? Is it in numbers of patients? Is it in total billings? Both ways. We, we ran it up to a million dollars um, a year um, where I was treating between 300 to 400 plus patients. Well, 350 to 400 plus patients a week. A week. A and week. so in a medical profession, how do you look at lifetime value of a client? Was that something that mattered to the practice in terms of recurring revenue potential? 
Well, it was in, in, in my estimation and looking at that um, and my communication with my patients is, was to keep them coming back, not for my benefit, but for their health benefit. Um, and so there's, there's a whole lot of dialogue that comes there, but I always looked at, you know, anytime I had a new patient, my expectation was to keep them for really the remainder of their life. Um, uh, not just past because they had low back pain and we cured that, but because we took care of it and we wanted them to continue to stay healthy throughout it. So, you know, again, a kind of simplistic view is we wanted to keep those patients forever, um, and treat them in a specific way and communicate in a specific way. And we did a pretty good job of, of doing that. So, uh, to put a dollar amount on that, um, it's kind of difficult, um, because, we, you know, we kept patients for a long time, plus the different, you know, the insurances, the different fee schedules, the cash, um, it, it couldn't be exact for, uh, within those parameters. Did you eventually take on other doctors as a group practice or was it a solo practitioner? Operation? I did. I, I hired associate doctors and ultimately uh, started a satellite clinic in a nearby city about 30 miles away that I had doctors in it as well. So, uh, but yes, I had that, I think five, six associate doctors that, uh, that I uh, trained and, and worked with me through the years. Yeah. Cause it's, it's sort of a push and pull challenge for entrepreneurs when they're growing their business. They're very, very close to their customers. They understand their needs. They know them by name. And, you know, as a doctor, you were seeing many of your patients directly, correct? You knew everybody who was coming in. I did so, and that that was a difficult that that first hire, first associate, and to let go and let them take care of some of the patients was was very difficult from a standpoint from my standpoint because I had control there, and from the patient standpoint because they were so used to me, and it it really all boils down to is communication, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't because I did such a great job. That's what we had to let the patients know. It wasn't because I was the greatest chiropractor in the world. We, we want to get the effect for you and help you get out of pain and become healthier. So whether it's myself doing it or the associate doing it, it doesn't matter. We're going to get the same effects. So, um, and you're going to get the same treatment. You're going to be valued here in our clinics. So once the patient started realizing that and could see that it, it was, it was pretty smooth transition from there on out. How did you bring the marketing speak or the sales speak to, Hey, you're going to have a great experience with us. You're going to feel better. You're, you know, whatever their benefits are, you know, why they'd want to come to your practice to putting that into place. You know, how did you bring that to life? in the business culture and with the patient care? Well, that, you know, like I said, that started very early on when I moved to New Mexico, just making that decision. And I just kind of backed into it. I wasn't doing it from a sales opportunity or really to grow my practice. I just hated being treated like I was an inconvenience in these other businesses. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's change that. What was interesting was once we started doing that and I communicated to the the one employee I had and we, we did a better job of it, patients started they, they communicated back to us, hey, we just love coming in here, the way you treat us and, and how you respect us and value us. And so that obviously created a, uh, that, you know, we wanted to continue to perpetuate that. And so, so we did. And that's the thing, you, you, can't, you can't verbalize it and, you know, hey, we are, we're here to serve you. We're going to give you the best experience because so many businesses do that, but yet their actions speak louder than words. I want it the other way. We didn't have to verbalize that a lot. They patients just felt that, 
mm-hmm. when they felt that and they experienced it and it was an attitude and a culture, we didn't have to, we didn't have to explain it to them. We didn't have to speak it to them. And when they felt that, then they left there and they were telling their family or their acquaintances or, you know, the people they worked with, Hey, you need to go see this chiropractor. Um, Cause they are great and they treat you well and, and uh, you get phenomenal service there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I just wanted to mention a quote from one of the listeners. It's somebody I used to work with. And, and from time to time, people submit quotes to me and I say, I'll, I'll include them in the show. And this is one, this is from Kevin McPherson, a former colleague of mine. And this is originally from Theodore Roosevelt. And he says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I thought that really matched what you were just saying there, Kelly, that I think when people were coming into your practice, they, you know, it was, it was probably how they were greeted and, and you were on time. It drives my husband absolutely insane when he goes to a doctor's office and they make him wait. And he's thinking, uh, is their time more valuable than mine? It sends the wrong message. It does. So obviously it, no one's trying to be late. It just maybe, there's inefficiencies or there's, you know, something going wrong on the backside. But I think for all those aspects and for listeners who are thinking, oh, well, I don't have a medical practice. I can't relate. Well, we probably can relate that everyone's got experiences where they walk in somewhere and maybe there's a grumpy, you know, greeting or no greeting, right? There's no eye contact. And I'm guessing in your, in your practice, that was not the case. (laughs) You're correct. (laughs) And what I, what I coach businesses on is, is having a bookend for the experience, meaning when, when a client, customer, patient walks into a business to have that eye contact, to have that welcome, you know, hey, great to see you. We're glad you're here. That type of situation. I call that being overly friendly, an immediate acknowledgement of that, uh, of that customer, that consumer. But equally as important is having a great farewell and acknowledgement when that customer is leaving the business at the end of the transaction, because ultimately that's more than likely what they're going to remember. And a lot of businesses fall flat on the other side of things. So yeah, they do a great job of acknowledgement on the front side, but then they kind of fall flat on the, on the back end of things. And again, that's the impression that the, the consumer will take away often more than the, the friendly uh, beginning. Well, let's finish this growth story for how you grew your practices. And I think I saw a statistic somewhere that you were the top 10% of chiropractic practices in the country. Is that accurate? It is by volume, patient uh, load and by collections. So, Which is incredible. And and that was a 20-year story, right? That played out over some years. It wasn't overnight, but ultimately you sold your practice. Is that correct? That is correct. In 2018. In 2018. Yeah. So I wanted to chat a bit about that. What was the process like to sell your clinics? Because at this point, how many clinics did you have? I had two clinics. That I, two. I okay. Yeah. Okay. So how long did the process take? What What was involved? And you know, we'll we'll just talk a bit about it. One question the listeners may have is why, if I was that successful in practice, why would I sell out? So I want to address that real quick. I mentioned earlier that I bought a chiropractor out uh, near where my wife grew up um, and started that practice. Again, older gentleman in his 60s, great chiropractor, but he basically got past his prime. So he really didn't have anything left for me to buy from him. Several years later, I bought another chiropractor out in that same community and the same situation. In the 60s, didn't have much left. Um, it was good for me, not good for them. Um, I benefited from it. So I made a mental note that if I 
was going to retire from chiropractic. And I didn't know at that point if I was, but if I was going to, I was going to sell at the top when I was at my prime and had something of value to give um, and sell to somebody else. And that in 2017, I just felt like I was led to, hey, it's time to, it's time to sell. Um, it's time to, to change, change focus and move on. And so I actually got with a medical practice broker um, and they did a phenomenal job of evaluating and um, putting a price tag basically on my practice. And, uh, you know, it was all kinds of information. It was documentation. It was tax returns. It was, I mean, to the nth degree. So they knew exactly what I had and what I was offering. Um, and then from that point on, they did the advertising and put the word out through the chiropractic journals and the colleges and the different, uh, uh, the different um, areas and different avenues that they could do that. And uh, ultimately, that's what attracted my, my buyer to me. And then it took a little bit of negotiation and making sure he was able to uh, uh, get the financing and do the things that uh, he needed to do. So it was it was roughly about a year's process to uh, from when I decided going through the broker and then ultimately signing the pra- the papers in in 2018 to to sell the practice. Okay, yeah, and I think it's interesting too to look at it from the eyes of the buyer, right? Somebody has, has a very smart quote that says uh, their businesses aren't sold, they're bought, and from that aspect. Was it eye-opening for you to understand what a buyer is valuing and how they're valuing it in your practice? Uh, to some degree, um, although I, it was such a good experience um, because the buyer was, it wasn't, it was, a, it, we were trying to make it a win-win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we had a back and forth, um, but it, it was very win-win for both parties. I knew in my mind what I had, but I also kept in mind that really that whole year as I was getting, as I was trying to sell it and, and, and uh, making up a, a give, basically I wanted to have a good product. Um, and so I, I just kept step, stepping back and looking, okay, where could I make this better? How could I make this better? What could I do here? Where am I falling short? And, and just improved and improved even that last year. Cause I wanted whoever stepped in, whoever bought that practice, to have the top-notch practice they could have, and when we finally sold the uh, signed the papers, I told him, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm basically giving you the keys to a, you know, to a Ferrari here. Um, I've got systems in place. All you need to do is just step in and follow what I've done, and you're going to have tremendous success." And he's done that to the T, and actually has even built the the business up over what I originally had. That's fantastic. I mean, that's what I work with clients on. Is there's essentially there's eight core drivers of value and you hit on a number of them in what you've talked about today. One of which is having the business to be able to thrive without you and how you did that. And your story was by putting processes in place, you know, creating a culture to be fostered and cared for, even if you're not in the room and certainly the, the behind the scenes, the back office processes being efficient, effective, that that's all part of that. Another big part of it is the revenue side, because essentially when, uh, business is getting acquired. A big part of that is your profitability, and certainly the history on, on that, and your and your EBITDA, and and for medical practices too. Not that I'm an expert, but I, I was reading a bit about it just to see. And there is a commonality in how businesses are valued, and one of which is certainly the predictability of future revenue potential. And so, if you had grown your 
client base consistently over three plus years and you had you know shown profitability increases and you have good customer metrics, which I'd love to talk about in here in a second, that all goes into the predictability of that future revenue potential and therefore reducing that risk, which is therefore increasing the, the value to a buyer. So that's very exciting. Did you get the magic number that you had in mind that you probably sealed in an envelope and said, if I get this number, I will take it? Did you get that number? Well, I, I actually ended up selling the practice a little differently then. We did uh, basically a buyout is what it amounts to. But uh, when, they, when it was originally evaluated, evaluated, it was a million, and I forget the exact number. So and that would have been nice to have that cash. Um, the buyout afforded the the buyer to not have to put down a ton of cash. He's a new practitioner, a massive amount of student debt. Um, you know, there's no way he's going to be able to get a significant loan to buy the practice. So kind of best of both worlds where saved him cash. He doesn't make the income initially coming in. I'm making more and then it, you know, dragging scale through, through the years. So, um, to me, that was a win-win because um, it both benefited, benefited us. I'm still part owner in it um, as he's buying me out. Um, and so it still gives me, uh, you know, I still do some management. I still train the staff. I still work with him to make sure we're, we're still on top of things and, and keeping things running as smoothly as possible. Okay. Yeah. Some people might position that as an earnout. Might, might we call they, it an earnout? Exactly. So that's the okay. proper term. That's great. And that that's a win-win and that's what matters. Absolutely. And so in that process of transitioning your role from day-to-day and primary owner to partial owner and more of a, you know, almost like a coach and mentor <laughs> to the new owner, you know, certainly with an equity stake and, and an interest in their in their performance. What does that mean to you in that transition? How did you think about that? Did you feel like you were really ready for what that meant? Or was there kind of a feeling of loss along the way? Uh, there, there was definitely feeling lost. Fortunately, the broker that we worked with, he'd done you know hundreds of these, so he he gave us an outline. Of, okay, here's what you need to do. We let the patients know what was going on early on. Um, a month or two before he, the practitioner who bought me out, came into the practice, so I could answer questions and kind of soften the blow and and do that. Um, I we did a 90 day transition from myself adjusting to him adjusting as we work together in that, um, that day that we actually transitioned and, and said, okay, I'm, I'm done being the chiropractor here. I'll, I'll still, I'm still be active. And at that time we still lived in New Mexico near the practice. Um, that, that day was, uh, was pretty difficult. Um, I, I thoroughly love taking care of patients. I love the communication with them. I love the interaction with them. I love to joke around with them. Um, and so backing up from that, that was, that was difficult. Yeah, no, I understand. And that's, that is hard. So we find ourselves a couple of years later now, and you're in a different headspace because it's certainly time makes it easier, but also because you've moved into your next, which I think is an exciting thing to talk about. So let's let's jump into your next act career, which is as a customer service consultant and coach. How did you determine that path? That's a great question. Going back to when we moved to New Mexico, making that making that decision to become uh, that my clinics would be customer centered and uh, excel customer service again. That started this journey of learning and implementing and putting into place. And I you know I saw the impact of it in my in my practice, and so I always knew how 
how, well, one, I've, I've seen, you know, countless times and we all do just bad customer service all over the place. So I knew, hey, this, this helped me so much. I know I can help others with this. And then going back to being coached, I've been coached since 2003. Um, I've had multiple business coaches. I've had personal coaches, speaking coaches, all kinds of coaches. I'm still being coached. And I knew the impact that had on my business and my life. So um, when I made this pivot, I, it, was, it was pretty easy to, easy to mesh the two. You know, I want to be a coach and I want to coach in customer service because I knew the am, impact of both those arenas in those areas. Yeah. And that's something really important. You saw the value and Definitely. wanting to bring that value to other people. There was a couple of great articles and there are many, many out there, but certainly the big why. And I was sort of thinking about the big why in this conversation. And Harvard Business Review has, a, has some wonderful articles out there. One statistic I saw is that companies that really foster loyalty grow revenues about two and a half times as fast as their industry competitors. And so certainly customer value can be a source of profitable growth. One of the things that I look to measure with clients is if they have any metrics around customer satisfaction or customer loyalty or likelihood to recommend. One of the key metrics that I like to use is the net promoter score. And so no matter how an organization measures, I guess my point is it's important to measure. I worked in a very, very big company. We had a process where we were measuring quarterly across the whole company. So it was a very big effort. Now, I'm not saying quarterly is necessary, but certainly something quantifiable, especially if you're building your company to sell, which for you in your, in your practice, ultimately, that's what you did. And there was data around, as we just talked about a moment earlier, about all your customers and, and how they stayed with you and, and all those metrics. How do you start with a client to really understand and, and kind of quantify where they are today and help identify the gaps of where they could be in, in terms of their customer satisfaction metrics? Yeah, we do a extensive audit uh, and just go through, you know, and, and really just, you know, I don't necessarily call it finding the holes, but that's what we ultimately end up doing is finding the holes in their customer service culture is what it amounts to. Almost every business will wave their hand and say, oh yeah, we provide great customer service. Um, almost every business has pieces of great customer service and what they do there, but it's not necessarily a culture. They have pieces and actions that they do that they say, okay, this, this qualifies us as saying we provide great customer service. And when you, when you don't think you have a problem, there's no need to look for a cure. Um, and so that's why we'll go through this audit and start finding, okay, here's where you're missing the boat. When you're missing the boat in customer service, you are not creating loyalty, you're losing customers and obviously you're gonna lose profitability. And so we're very careful of that and very detailed in working through a, a, an audit to, to find those deficiencies. Yeah, because it costs a company, what, about I think five to 10 times or greater to get acquire a new customer than it is to retain a customer? Absolutely, five to 25 is, is the statistic I use, but yes, exactly. And they just don't see that. So many, so many businesses are sales oriented, sales minded. And, and my goal is to shift them into let's be more service minded. Because if you're service minded, you will serve more. I mean, you will sell more. Um, yes, you need those sales. You need to acquire new customers. But the greatest growth comes, comes from uh, keeping those customers, retaining those customers. And that's where the growth and the profitability will exponentially 
exponentially come from. There's a statistic from Harvard, Harvard Business School, and they did a study where if a company will just re increase retention by 5%, it can, it can lead to 25 to 95% increase in profits. And so that's, that's the name of my program is the 5% bump. And we, we try to push that, that retention rate up by 5% by changing the culture, culture as far as customer service and creating more loyalty. Do you work with clients in any particular industry? Are these medical professionals or are they really across any industry? It, it, it's, it's across the board, any service-based industry. I have a, you know, I have a passion for the medical side of things just because I speak their language. Um, you know, obviously chiropractors, physical therapists are, uh, they have a very similar business model um, in a lot of aspects. So I've had success working with them as well. But what I like about the medical side of, or helping the medical profession is, and this is what I saw in my own practice, is when you're taking care of a patient from a health standpoint, when you're providing great customer service, it actually can help the outcomes. So in a chiropractic sense, if we're making a patient feel valued and relaxing them and helping them feel more important, that's actually changing their physiology, which it made it easier for me as a chiropractor to take care of them. And ultimately it helped with our outcomes because we, you know, we weren't treating them in a, in, in a way that they didn't like, was tensing them up. They hated coming to my office. They were relaxed. They loved being there and their, the body was able to heal itself a little bit quicker. So that, that leads into physical therapy and the other medical uh, professions as well, if they are on top of their customer service game. Do you think that there's going to be changes in how companies need to think about customer loyalty and customer service given the pandemic and how ultimately, whether it's face-to-face -face interactions or online interactions? I do. I think improving customer service is more important now than ever. And unfortunately, I, you know, small businesses are, are dying off at a rapid rate right now, and I hate that. Um, and those that are able to sustain and, and function through this, as consumers, we're a little tighter with our money right now. Um, and anytime that happens, um, people will not put up with mediocre or less customer service or uh, worse customer service. Um, and so if you really want to make your business shine and continue to not only survive, but thrive, you really need to make the shift um, and get on board with this, with this customer service improvement. Yeah. And I know a lot of companies are struggling with what is their next and, you know, they've been changing their business model. They've been changing a lot of things. But one thing's for sure, people do want to continue to know that they are important to the companies they do business with. So regardless of that, I think our earlier quote from Teddy Roosevelt still, still very much holds. Um, there's another quote that I wanted to share, which is from Peter Drucker. And he says, the purpose of business is to create and keep a customer, which I think very much falls in line with everything that we've talked about today. I love that quote. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> quote. When you work with your clients today, any major mistakes, if you want to call it that, stand out to you as examples of what not to do? Yeah, probably the biggest one, uh, the most prominent one, most prevalent one is you, you, you have to treat your employees well <laughs> in turn for them to treat the customers well. So a happy employee will be more inclined to make a happy customer. And that's what we see a lot of. Not that you know, businesses are ruling with an iron fist and cracking the whip, but they're just not, they're just not valuing their employees like they should. And that, 
I, I didn't do that for several years in my practices. Um, I looked at my, I looked at my employees as liabilities and they were there just to collect a paycheck doing the bare minimum. And my job was to correct every little mistake they made. And one of my business coaches called me on that, said, listen, you need to look at your employees as assets and start calling them on all the good they're doing because they're doing way more good. And when I made that shift, you know, voila, guess what happened? You know, it, it, increased our reputation for great service. Um, same thing with so many businesses. They just, again, it's not that they're terrible with their employees, but they can be a whole lot better. Look at them as as assets, value them first, and then in turn, let them, let the employees value the customers. So that's a, that's a huge mistake a lot of businesses are making. Yeah, agreed. Where I've seen success is using you know, employee surveys, certainly, but having focus groups, having your finger on the pulse with your own teammates to their attitudes and how they feel. And, and the question I think that the net promoter score, you know, really gets to is the likelihood to recommend this service or business to a friend or colleague. And if you think about it in the same vein as being an employee, would you recommend this employer? Would you want to work here enough to recommend a friend or colleague to work there? And, and it's really the same question if you think about it, right? The, the, the zero to 10 rating exactly. and be able to quantify that and find who the promoters are who the detractors are, and then who that, again, that net number, that's really the key, whether it's employees or customers. So I definitely work with my clients on that to try to quantify and however we choose to do it, whether it's a simple one question, or if it's something more complex, like the Gallup polls utilize, there's some great tools out there to measure over time, because you want to establish this baseline. Like you're saying, you come into a new relationship with a client, you're going to do some triage. You're going to understand where are they now, (laughs) right? as if they're walking into your clinic, you got to understand where are they now and where are those gaps? Where are the pain points? And then where can they go from there and establishing that roadmap? So that, that makes a lot of sense. Anything that I didn't ask you about, Kelly, that you want to share in terms of what you believe success factors to be and having a customer oriented culture? Well, I like what you mentioned there. I'm, I'm, I'm very simplistic in my approach um, really all along in my practices and certainly what I'm doing now with my customers. I don't want to make this hard for them. So I'm very simplistic in applying the customer principles, the customer service principles and those type of things. As far as the metrics to be measured, the three, and I got this from Jack Welch, um, you know, the CEO of GE for many years. You know, if you want to, the metrics that you need to follow are, the survey the customers, survey the employees, and then watch cash flow, um, and just follow those through. So that's that's always good. Another mistake that I see that I again, and I, I alluded to it and mentioned it just a few moments ago, is you know kind of take those blinders off, take the blind spots off for many businesses. But the statistics are, eighty percent of the business in the United States function at a level of of average to just downright poor customer service. So the vast majority, um, but yet these same businesses are the ones waving their hands that, oh yeah, we, we provide great customer service. So I would just encourage business owners and the listeners to step back and look, you know, how often do we train? Is this really, you know, is this really ingrained in our culture? Is this a, really a focus for us? Um, and step back and, and evaluate themselves um, and see if this is really something that uh, something that they're doing. Yeah, they champion that they are, but let's let's step back and look at it. Um, and if you're not, uh, then maybe it's time to take steps to sure that up, make a shift. There's no downside to improving customer service. No. There's no there's no downside because 
your customers, your consumers, your patients, clients, they're never going to stop wanting to be valued and feel important and feel special by doing business with you. Um, and when you do that, all it leads is to creating relationships, creating bonds, creating loyalty, and creating greater business. So keep those things in mind. Yeah, and that's, so that's a great, I guess, first step for, for companies that are thinking about this and wondering, how are they doing? And I know you value tools and tool sets, and you, you mentioned that earlier, and you've written a book about it and to help small business owners understand what they could be doing better. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book? Absolutely. Uh, the book's entitled Define and Deliver Exceptional Customer Service. And going back to my simplistic mindset, that's what the book is about. It's just proven strategies to maximize profits. Um, and it gives the rules, the principles of great customer service, some very simple action steps that uh, a business can put into play that can have actually incredible benefits if they'll just put them in play. The key is consistency. Um, you have to be consistent with with uh, developing this culture. Um, and this is another hangup that a lot of businesses have, and I address this in the book, is they it's customer service, improved customer service, they'll champion it as a flavor of the month, as a shiny new object, um, but they just don't have the, not necessarily mentality, but they just don't look at it as a long-term goal um, that it needs to be a foundation put in a place and everything moving forward is built upon that. So you have to be careful with that. Consistency is key when we're dealing with customer service. Yep, absolutely. I'm sure you have many, but one of the things I like to ask my guests, if they have a favorite quote about entrepreneurship or leadership, and I'm wondering if you have one. Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes, and I use it all the time, think about it all the time, it's from Zig Ziglar. And he says, and I'm sure most of you have heard this, but you can have everything in your life you want if you will help enough others get what they want. And to me, that that really encompasses the the service culture, the customer service culture, and and from my standpoint of what I do and what I did in my practices to serve first, serve others first, and they can help you get what you want. But you have to you have to have that mentality of serving others first. I love that. That's a great quote. So last question before we wrap here: How do others find you online? Pretty simple. DrKellyHenry.com is my website. And then you can find me on LinkedIn under Dr. Kelly Henry and Facebook, Dr. Kelly Henry. So those are my three main platforms. Love to talk to you about uh, changing your customer service culture in your business. So um, you can email, text, however you want to get a hold of me. I'd be more than happy to, to talk with you about uh, helping your business. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on Succession Stories. I think it's an important aspect for people as they think about their transitions in their business, especially if they're looking to grow and sell one day to build value around customers. So thanks so much for sharing your insights. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate the time. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories. And if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening.